from the Pictures Out There studios. Welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series with Dave Fogelman and Lee Stewart. Pictures Out There ties the future to the present and is a new approach for vision and action toward a better future. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Hi, everyone. This is Dave. And I'm Lee. And welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series. Last week, we talked briefly about a new government picture for the globe. We introduced that concept. We'll call that part one. Part two today of a new government picture for the globe is going to be Lee and I presenting our own picture for what governance of the future would look like. Before presenting our picture, let's go through three concepts that were key to what we discussed last week. The first is global change is certain. That's an important thing to think through via communication, technology changes, social changes, political changes. It is a certainty that life on our globe is going to change. The second concept is, as a result of global change, government structures and forms need to continue to change and evolve to match those changes on the globe and in human society. Third, to describe those needed new or revised government structures or forms, we need a picture that we can work toward together. So for today, let's examine a new government picture for the globe, part two. Here's our attempt at painting a governance picture for the future. Well, getting this done really wasn't easy. It was a big hill, one of the biggest. But our world did it, just like people around our globe have always ended up climbing the other hills. Give us humans enough time, we always will. People around the world wanted even stronger governing mechanisms that could effectively support and address local and regional issues, opportunities, preferences, and cultures. And at the same time, people around the world also came to realize that the biggest problems in the world now required new global solutions. Here are some examples to consider as you reflect on that phrase, global solutions. We've experienced global pandemics, climate change, the disruption of global supply chains that have affected economies around the world, workforce mobility, cybersecurity, hunger not completely eradicated. Think about income inequality, life and health expectancy, and access to education and learning, all global, not national issues. Yeah, nation-based efforts to solve these problems weren't very efficient or effective since they often worked at cross-purposes to the detriment of other nations. The opportunity to fully solve these problems required global approaches augmented by regional and local efforts. Many people had very strong emotional ties to their prior nation, but nations were not solitarily able to address the most significant opportunities for a better life for their citizens. Those opportunities were now better met at either a global or at regional or local levels. So most people in the world wanted to feel safe on the planet, right? There emerged a desire for a new level of global governance that could better provide safety and security for everyone. Yep. At the same time, people wanted to have a great deal of governmental control at their local level 
to increase the degree of cultural choices that are available. So all of these factors were calling for a big change. A growing percentage in the global population ultimately reached a consensus that an enormous change was in order. So here is what our world did. The world created a vision, a picture for a future global governance system. The globe voluntarily transitioned nations from their current political systems to membership in a worldwide, well-balanced global governance model. Voluntarily, members transitioned from nations to region states, we'll call them, in a new global democratic model that was based on a new set of human rights, responsibilities, and governing ideals. These human rights, responsibilities, and ideals were agreed to and committed to by the initial members of the new global union. The world also voluntarily transitioned to a security approach on that point of safety that we were talking about that would gradually eliminate weapons of mass destruction while maintaining lesser, broad forms of security spread evenly over the world. This approach helped keep the new region states and the globe secure. The world created a path to get to this new governance system in well-defined stages. The union members who voluntarily signed up at the outset created a transition plan. They created a model, first of all, that defined the roles and rights of the new union government and the roles and rights of region states within that new government system. The new union then empowered cross-continent teams to address transitional governance issues. The transition plan determined that a new union government would be elected in 20 years, so we gave a lot of time for the adjustment, for the change management, for this change to take place. That transition plan would, and the new union government, would include, one, an executive council that had a member from each continent, and it also would include a chief executive of that council, but that chief executive would only have facilitative duties. They would not have additional decision-making authority. Secondly, there would be a senior council that would have one member from each newly defined region state. Thirdly, there would be a representative council that would have representatives based on equal global population segments. So everybody was fairly and equitably represented all across the globe. So the world invited every existing nation to join. At the time of joining, each nation had the opportunity to further divide into regions, if that was more to their liking, within reason, of course. And as we all now know, in the beginning, some nations voluntarily joined this global union, some did not. But eventually, all nations did voluntarily choose to join. Here's why. Think of the benefits. Non-joining nations did not receive any of the direct or indirect advantages offered by the Union. And non-joining nations were not disadvantaged from a security perspective, but were not permitted to pose a physical threat to the Union. Nations were never pressured to join the Union, but because of the success of it, those who were initial non-members soon made the voluntary decision to join. 
Beyond the parameters of this global union, there was a deep respect and support for regional and local governance and the continuation of cultural preferences. Those unique regional and local elements are deeply respected and treasured as long as they work in sufficient harmony with the global ideals and governance outcomes. So it was possible to have it all, a global vision and local and regional cultural differences. So if it was a safety, health, or a basic human rights issue, for example, maybe not enough to eat or not enough of a clean, safe place to live or a non-sustainable income, well, that was solved globally. And for other issues or questions, support having a diversity of cultures at local and regional levels where people can create or find the culture that best matches them and their needs. That's right. Now, this isn't a perfect system, and it probably never will be because it's led by fallible humans. And it's also a given because of the way the globe will continue to change that this system will continue to need to evolve and grow and develop over time. But it is the best one yet because it reflects our new ideals. This system is built around three critical governing ideals, we will call them, that serve as our governance north star. First of all, balance of power. So as described, there is a balance of power in the system that keeps individuals or groups of any kind from exerting illegitimate control over the system and over others. Secondly, the right to vote. Voting is made as easy as possible, and the ability of every citizen to vote is encouraged and facilitated at every possible turn. Every citizen then knows that their voice matters, is respected, is heard, and counts. In the voting process, there's an understanding and an appreciation that you're going to win some and you're going to lose some, but every person's voice is heard. Every person has their own pictures that are reflected in their votes. Every person's own pictures are heard on voting issues, questions, and debates. The third thing is the rule of law. Every single person, no exceptions, no matter their circumstance or position, lives and abides under a rule of law that is fair and just. In the inevitable circumstance that imperfect laws are created, every attempt is made to quickly replace them with better law, good law, fair and just law. In addition to having just and fair laws, the application of those laws to all people must be even fair and just. These three ideals in our governance North Star are appreciated and they're respected by the people. Hey, citizens like feeling safe. Citizens have a desire to be treated fairly. They want to have as much power and control over their own lives as they possibly can. Citizens want to count in the system in which they live. They want to be heard and they want to have their own pictures reflected in their votes. Whenever a leader failed to actively and fully support any of these three points of the star, if they didn't use the power they had to actively support a balance of power with others, if they didn't treat all citizens fairly and equally, if they didn't fully abide by the rule of law, if they tried to usurp too much power, if they kept citizens from voting, if they didn't actively try to make it easier 
for citizens to vote. If they did any of these things, then they inevitably failed in part or in whole and were replaced as leaders. Our telling of these types of leaders in our history recounts all of their abuses and failings. Lust for power, greed, injustices, tyranny, we're past that now. And the world's future has never been more promising. Our chosen leaders understand that they're guardians and caretakers of something much greater than their personal power or achievement. And because of all of those things, we love our new system of government. Mm -hmm. It's based on a beautiful set of human rights and the responsibilities that go along with those rights. Yep. Everybody appreciates individual uniqueness in all its forms, as long as there's no harm to others. Everyone has free access to information, to knowledge, the ability to teach themselves, educate themselves, continue to grow. Government systems ensure that those who can work have a job that pays a true living wage as a minimum requirement and as a precursor to having a universal income system at some time in the future. And no one, regardless of their ability to work, is forced to live with hunger or homelessness. They are provided for. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is available to everyone. Everybody shares their own religious or spiritual expression as they wish without forcing it on others, and they respect the expression of others, even though it may be different from theirs. Everyone maintains clean energy and a clean environment. Yep. Everyone ensures that political, economic, and social systems minimize acts of violence in all of its manifestations. Everyone has equal voting rights, equal human rights, and other citizen rights. At any community level, whether local, corporate, regional, or global, if we elect leaders and they can't facilitate creating a picture that we can believe in or they don't have the ability and determination to drive to the picture in an urgent, time-bound fashion, then we replace them. Mm -hmm. We put in real leaders, not folks who are married to the past and who are addicted to their own personal power. There's no longer a place for those people in leadership positions. Yep. So, okay, that's our picture for a new governance model for the globe. But equally importantly, what is yours? Let's talk. Let's explore. Let's dream a bit. Let's go build the dream. We can do it with urgency and we can do it with joy. So, you might ask, so what? What difference would a new global governance structure make and why would we even do it? Dave and I truly believe that if we create an, an imaginative and aggressive and crystal clear picture of our future for governments and political systems, and if we make creating that picture an essential first step for change, then the world will become a better place faster. We will move quickly to agree on what should happen and effectively figure out how we can quickly get there. And as we have hopefully proven, government must change over time to, one, match the changes that have happened in human society throughout history, and two, to assure that power systems are equitable and that they support positive change in the world. Okay, now we're going to have that part of the podcast where we have the very direct conversation to you all in the future. 
our future generations. This is one where no doubt you all are looking back at us and the mishmash of political systems and government systems that we have here on the globe. We do believe, as we've described in our own picture, that you all have figured out a couple of things. One is you figured out that the world keeps changing and your world keeps changing. And what you've been able to do that we've really struggled with here is getting ahead of that, understanding that government structures are set up to facilitate life for the people. And ideally, if you can set up a government structure that prepares for the world that is to be, that's a lot better than chasing all of the nastiness and and dysfunction and inefficiency that we seem to have in our government systems today. Yeah, that's called being planful rather than being reactionary. And I think most nation states as they exist here in the 21st century are reactionary, right? Another thing, Dave, with this and the future is that we believe you have overcome uh, pledging fealty to a national identity. Now perhaps you pledge fealty to a global identity, putting that above any individual nation state. Nation states are what? They're man-made constructs. The extent to which these identities cause us to be unloving, cause us to be disrespectful. There you go, yes. Cause us to see us and them with with other people. Right. With other people that are just like us. Uh, you all in the future have kind of gone, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to do that. We appreciate the fact that cultures can be different. And you all in the future, we believe in all the right ways, support choice for valid cultural differences and choices that people want to make about how they want to live their life. But again, under the umbrella of ideals mm-hmm. where people aren't harmed, people aren't hurt, and everyone is respected. Yeah, we feel like in the future you have finally figured out that cultural identities are good things. Right. National identities can be good or bad. Yeah, if national identities, again, repress choice that may be something that people would do at a local or a regional level and and do in a way that doesn't harm anyone else, we would think that's not such a good thing. And again, we have uh, elections lots of times at national levels and huge debates and points of contention. And again, for our perspective, so many of the problems that are getting discussed at those levels are global problems. They're problems that actually have to be solved by the globe. And we almost have this uh, pretense that you know, in our case, the United States can solve something. And so we have candidates that represent that. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens out of the course of those elections, you're not going to have great facilitative solutions toward those problems if it's not done globally. We think you all have figured that out. Yeah, here's an example. So in the 21st century, there would be every two or three years a global climate change conference. And guess who the representatives were who attended that conference and participated in planning and decision-making? Representatives of nation states. Well, in the future, we believe that you're having those kinds of conversations, but the representatives are from the world, not from given nation states. Maybe there's a representative from North America, one from South America, one from Sub-Saharan Africa, as we know it today. Very, very different mindset to be a global participant rather than representatives of nation states trying to get together in a global forum. If you can go back to this list of global issues that Lee read off earlier in our picture and that we talked about last week as well, 
those issues would get brought to this global governance structure that we've described, and they would create a solution Mm -hmm. for the globe, Mm -hmm. for how to address pandemics, what to do with climate change, what to do with income inequality, what to do with health care, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And then all of the other things that aren't what we're calling that type of safety, security, health, uh, wellness type of issue for the globe, those are things that we say typically nation states aren't very effective at resolving either because they're best addressed at a local level for local preference, for local culture. Here in the United States, we could probably describe 20 or 30 subcultures if we wanted to, right? Yes. Things where people have preferences, it may be regions they live in, perspectives they have on different things, and those are subcultures. And lots of times the nation state kind of squashes those mm-hmm. really for no reason. Right. Yeah. yeah. No purpose or Yeah. The homogenization of identity for no good reason. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of what somebody might take, uh, take aim at with, you know, the global picture that we're presenting here would be, well, is this just a desire to homogenize everything? No, no. It is to separate out those things that are truly global that are truly about supporting every human's basic rights and stating those as a global concern that needs to be solved globally. And then all of those other things that are preference, that are choice, mm-hmm. that, are, that are appropriately separate cultures, let those be solved by people as they see fit Absolutely. at local and regional levels. Right. And instead of having this mishmash in the middle of those two, things like we have today we think you in the future have figured out how to separate those things out and how to create governance structures that facilitate both of those things those of you in the future one of the things that you all have probably looked back on is you know there was a point in history where we have as a globe created an entity called a league of nations and then we created another entity called a united nations and so some of the things that we're talking about here sound like some of that but of course what happened is there actually wasn't an equal distribution of power even in those entities there were some that were more equal than others in the words of George Orwell and and that those entities were never really given real power it was a point of influence but not a governance structure and so what what we're talking about here is that you all have actually created a true governance structure that is replacing the governance structure of nation by nation. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Dave. Also, the United Nations and the League of Nations before that, they were really about geopolitical cooperation from a military, through a military lens, not so much through a healthcare access lens and environmental stewardship lens. It was mostly to say, hey, we're not going to have war with one another. And if somebody over there goes to war, well, we'll be on your side. That's kind of what it morphed into. Yeah, they weren't solving economic issues across the globe. They weren't solving, again, as you said, health and safety types of issues other than military types of things. As a species, we've been in a new situation since the mid-20th century. Weapons and global conditions exist that can destroy us and our planet. It is inherently unstable to have nations, regions, religious groups, races, genders, orientations, or any other large group of people believing that they are treated unfairly or denied the rights or advantages provided to others. If they are treated unfairly 
or denied rights provided to others, then over time, that fact will be clear to them. They're not going to be fooled. Now, we have to overcome any selfishness that squashes basic rights of others. We're going to have to come up with a political and a governance system where everyone is uplifted, Mm -hmm. not just some of us. Given our past creativity with creating weapons of violence and other global crises, we have given ourselves no other option. That concludes our podcast. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for joining our podcast today. For more information about Pictures Out There products, services, and communities, or to contact us.com or reach out to us on Twitter at the handle at PicsOutThere. You can also find us on Facebook. Please join us for our next podcast. We hope you have the day of your dreams.